Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, you guys. Y'all can take a seat. Well, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, My name is Mina Reed, like Holly said. I am on staff here. I am the director of apprentice groups and content. Um, I've been serving here for about four-ish years, and I've loved worshiping with this church, and it's a real gift to be able to teach you all this morning. Um, So like Holly said, I'm pursuing right now my master's in biblical studies at Asbury Theological Seminary, and all you need to know from that information is that I am learning how to be a certified Bible nerd. I will be very, very nerdy today. Um, I love the Bible, I love the biblical languages, um, and I'm discovering a really strong passion for teaching all of this in the local church. It's a huge gift for me to be with you guys. Um, So today we're gonna continue our excavation of Hebrews, and I'm calling it an excavation on purpose because we are taking a letter that was written 2,000 years ago to people we don't know by an author that we don't know. We have very little information, but we're gonna act like we're on an archeological dig. We're gonna use like dusting brushes and shovels and perseverance and care, and we're gonna study this letter within its own context today. Um, I hope that what we come up with at the end is honoring of the letter in its own space, but also really useful to us in our time. Um, Eugene Peterson encourages us to move, when we read the Bible, from a kind of reading that treats and handles however reverently Jesus did, to a way of reading that frequents the company of friends who are listening to, accompanying, and following Jesus alive. I love that quote. I think of it a lot when I'm studying the word. Um, What it captures for me and what I want you guys to hold on to before we jump in is that we are interacting with the living word of God, which tells the story of the living son of God. Um, And it's such a massive gift to enter into this world, to enter into the biblical narrative. So we're going to do so with our excavator tools and discover just what's going on in Hebrews chapter 3. So last week we discovered that Hebrews is a letter written to a group of Christians who were likely Jewish or had Torah observing backgrounds. What that means is that these people knew their Bibles incredibly well. Like John said last week, they had a really strong scripture-soaked imagination. I love that term. 
And we have to assume that's the case because there's basically an Old Testament reference in every other line of Hebrews. Um, and so with that being said, the main tool that we're going to use today as we excavate this New Testament text is actually going to be the Old Testament. Um, and then we're going to see how the Holy Spirit allows us to apply that text in our time. So the biblical writers do this thing that I think is really fun, where they will reference a psalm that references a prophet, that references the Torah, that references Genesis, and you, it goes on like that for a long time. Um, and that is what's happening in our text today. I want to give you a visual. I'm going to put the text on the screen right now. You don't have to read the words, but all you need to know is everything in yellow is a reference to the Old Testament, um, either directly or indirectly. That's half our text. So this is, gonna, this is a signal to us that, that the Old Testament references are highly important. Um, our teaching text today contains references to Psalms and to the book of Numbers. And it's centered around how communities respond when the going gets tough. So everything in yellow is the author hyperlinking backwards through scripture. And he's calling on his audience to remember the things of old in order to capture something new. So I want you guys to imagine yourselves in the original audience. You grew up reading the Pentateuch and the prophets and the writings with your family. You spent tons of time memorizing passages and retelling the stories over and over again. So you're in this audience. When you hear Hebrews 3, your scripture-soaked imagination is going to pick up that you're hearing a familiar passage from Psalm 95, which we have purposefully read already in service during worship. I'm going to read it for you guys right now one more time. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Yikes. Okay, bear with me here. That's the psalm that's quoted in Hebrews. And that psalm is actually referencing a pivotal story in the book of Numbers in chapters 13 and 14. This is our X marks the spot. This is what we're going to use to understand our teaching text. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Numbers 13 and 14, or I'll have some of it on the screen. I want to give you the context of what's happening in this story in Numbers. It's going to allow us to understand Hebrews. So here's the setting. In Genesis, God told Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation, and he would deliver them into a land to dwell in. And this is going to be referred to as the promised land. And then in Exodus, those descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, they weren't in the promised land. They were actually enslaved in Egypt. God rescued them from brutal slavery through the leader Moses. And then they camped at the base of Mount Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments and the tabernacle instructions. But they were still nomads. They hadn't been delivered into this land yet. In Numbers, after generations of waiting to receive this promise of land, the Israelites finally arrive on the outskirts of the promised land. This is a huge deal in the biblical narrative. When they get there, they can see the land before them, and so they decide to send spies to go scope everything out. Um, and here's our pivotal moment. The spies are gone for 40 days and nights, and they come back with a bone-chilling report. 
They say, we went into this promised land that you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. That just means it's really great. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and very large. We cannot attack these people. They are larger than us. The land we explored devours those living in it. This is not what the Israelites expected to hear. Had God not promised this land to their ancestors, was Moses not supposed to take them there? Was this all for nothing? The whole biblical narrative has been building up to this moment, and they are devastated at this news. The Israelites cry, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why would the Lord bring us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, let's choose a new leader. Let's go back. We're going back to Egypt. So Moses pleads with the people. He says, remember the promises of God. I've told you this. He will deliver us to this land flowing with milk and honey. But they refused. So God swore on oath to give the Israelites what they asked for. Not one adult from that generation made it into the promised land. They died in the wilderness. What a profoundly sad story. These are the people who walked through the Red Sea when they were rescued out of slavery. But they couldn't bear to believe in Moses or in God any longer. So the last thing that you need to know about this really pivotal story in Numbers is that everything the Israelites knew about God and about God's promises and his laws came from the mouth of Moses. Um, God would tell Moses the laws, and then Moses would go down the mountain and tell people the laws. God would tell Moses that I'm going to deliver your people to a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses would go and he would share that report with the Israelites. Moses was the mediator of the covenant relationship between Israel and God. And so they had to rely on him. So the story in Numbers not only demonstrates the Israelites' failure to trust in God, but to an extent it demonstrates um, Moses' shortcomings as their deliverer. Okay, so snap back. We're um, in a house church in a bustling city, and it's full of new converts from Judaism um, to Christianity, and they're meeting together. They aren't in the wilderness. They aren't being led by Moses. So we have to ask this important question. Why in the world does the author of Hebrews bring this story up centuries later in a community that looks completely different? They don't even speak the same language. Remember what I said earlier? He's calling on them to remember the stories of old in order to capture something new. He wants these Hebrews to reflect on the story from the Old Testament and recognize something. This is a light bulb moment they're supposed to have. We're in a parallel situation. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the author wants to challenge the audience to remember that previous generation who walked through the wilderness so that they don't make the same mistakes. All right, so how, though, are the Hebrews in a parallel situation? What's similar about this? Because at first glance, it doesn't look to be the same at all. 
Well, from the clues in the text later, we are going to find out that this audience is made up of people who were enduring suffering and reproach because of their faith in Christ. Um, They were going to be facing persecution not only from Jews who thought that they had abandoned their faith in Yahweh, the one true God, but they were also facing persecution from pagans who thought they were crazy for not worshiping Caesar. In other words, they're surrounded on all sides, um, and they have a choice to make. Should they press into Christ and risk facing persecution, social consequences, relational and economic fallout, or should they return to their old ways back to Judaism? That option is going to be the comfortable, predictable, controllable option. You can imagine um, these people sitting around, and they're weighing their options, and they're thinking, well, I love this Jesus that I've learned about, but if I go back to Judaism, at least I'll keep my job and I'll get to provide for my family. Or you might imagine somebody saying, I love the gospel, but if I go back to Judaism, back to my old ways, and I won't get beat up when I'm on the street. There's a choice to make, but here's the key. In this scenario, our author of Hebrews says, there is one huge cataclysmic difference. He writes in our text, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So there's a key difference between these stories um, for the Israelites and the Hebrews, and it's that there is someone totally different leading them now. It was Moses for the Israelites, a fellow man and servant of God. But for these people who are receiving the letter to the Hebrews, um, it's Jesus. It's the Son of God. Like Moses, Christ is the leader of people. He's the representative of God. He's the mediator of this new covenant. And he's the one who says he's going to deliver the people out of slavery to sin and into new life. But our text says Jesus is superior. Unlike Moses, who failed to deliver the Israelites, Jesus does have the power and authority to deliver the people all the way to and through new life. What Moses could never ensure for the Israelites, Christ absolutely will do for believers. So the author says, with this knowledge, hold firmly. It's not like it was back then. Christ will do this. We have him. We have the son of God, the one that Moses hoped for, the one that the prophets anticipated and talked about. We're not relying on flesh and blood to push or white knuckle us um, all the way into the promises of God. We are relying on the faithful son of God who has already made the journey from death to life. And we can very much trust in him. All right, are y'all with me? So we've walked through the text. We've been literally all over the Bible. Um, We've gone down this rabbit trail. We've traced our steps through the Old Testament, and we've caught on to what the author wants to teach the Hebrews. What do we do with it? This is one of my favorite parts of the process. You know, you look at what was going on back then. Now what do we do with it now? So right now we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want us to hear? What do you want us to see? I've got um, three points for you. Point number one is trust in Jesus. 
Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So what the Israelites failed to do was trust in the living God who had already proven himself faithful. Like we said, these are the people who walked through the Red Sea as, as if on dry land. But when faced with threat and fear and risk, they seized power into their own hands and they made a plan to return to what was comfortable, predictable, and controllable. But they missed out on God's promises because of that. In the same way, the um, audience of Hebrews could either turn back to Judaism, comfortable, predictable, controllable, um, or press into Jesus. And still, it's the same today. We have choices to make. We are always being pulled backwards, back into the comforts of what we can control and predict. Um, I think that we're always being pulled back into the comforts of accumulating wealth or building status. For me, I, I'm pulled back into the comfort of numbing out on screens all the time. Or we're being pulled back into destructive sins that isolate us, hurt our people, and ultimately kill us. But the comforts of Egypt are deceptive. The author of Hebrews wants us to look back and remember, okay, turning back is not worth it. We are not going to get reward in turning back. We must press on and put our trust into Jesus, into the living Son of God. Now, if you've been in church for a little while or even for a couple of weeks, this phrase might sound tired. Trust in Jesus. What does it even mean to trust in Jesus. I think it can look different for everyone, but you might ask yourself a handful of questions. Is there something I'm withholding from God's care or God's authority? Is there something I believe God, he might not do this? I know he said he would, but I don't know if he will. Um, for you, it might look like you got to trust in God to make ends meet. He will do it. Um, it might look like creative, creatively adapting how you use screens in your home or with your family. Um, it might look like trusting God to heal decades-long addictions that you've just been battling with. To hand our fate over to the Son of God is incredibly vulnerable. I'm not saying that this isn't risky. That's why it's hard, and that's why people turn back. Um, but it's vulnerable. It's supposed to feel that way. If you don't feel vulnerable, you might still have an escape plan. So trust in the living Son of God. All right, point two is encourage one another. Next in the text, the author says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you be, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God did not design discipleship to be an island. We are not meant to do this alone, and we are not going to succeed if we do this alone. One of the most powerful tools we have in the Christian life is encouragement from within our community. The Israelites got scared together, they groveled together, they planned to turn back together, and they died in the wilderness together. It's really sad. Likewise, if the Hebrews are going to make it, they're going to have to do it together. Like these people, they have persecution on all sides. They're going to need each other. They're going to need daily encouragement to press on. And it's the same for us. 
If we are going to be a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things, we also need to encourage one another daily. I believe encouragement has the power to tip the scale either way. We saw it with the Israelites. We're kind of left to wonder how it went with the Hebrews. Um, The Israelites encouraged one one another to turn back, but we want to encourage one another, press into Christ, um, press into the risk. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he can't help himself without distorting the truth. He needs his brother. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And if you think through it, you, you've experienced this. You've been able to encourage your friends or your people and pick them up in ways that it's, it's uh, not so easy to do for yourself. We need one another. So in the context of community, we're driven deeper into Christ. You might say, well, how do I do that? <laughs> That's a little bit hard in this age. I would just encourage you to be in community with people. Invite people over to your messy home full of screaming children. That's okay. They probably love it. Make friends with someone who's a decade ahead or behind you in life. That's such an enriching practice. There are people sitting in this audience that I love and have grown so much with. Um, And there are people who pour into me because they've done more life than I have. But I encourage you to just take those steps. And once you find your people, um, encourage them daily. Uh, We talk about sometimes sending little voice memo prayers. That's all it takes. Do little baby steps. Encourage your people. Our final point is hold your convictions to the very end. An exercise that has been really fruitful in my life is reflect on what drew you to Jesus in the first place. Our Hebrews author, he says, we've come to share in Christ if we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So ask yourself, why did you start following Jesus? Um, What was so beautiful and astounding and rewarding about Jesus that you made the choice to call yourself one of his disciples? For me, it was Jesus's pursuit of those who were like the most broken, um, engrossed in society. Um, It was the fact that he revealed his identity for one of the first times to a woman who had been divorced five times. It was the way Jesus sought out the publicly despised tax collector to have table fellowship with him. That was a big deal. That meant you're one of my people. Um, It was the way that Jesus defended and protected, protected the dignity of a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. He protected her. And finally, it was the way Jesus cooked breakfast over a fire for Peter after Peter had denied him the night before. So go back to these things. Return to your original convictions and relish in the way the gospel captured your heart. It is so good to do that. It's the reason that we go on dates with our spouses um, on our anniversary because we need to remember and reflect and stir our affections. It's the same reason we look at pictures of our kids the day that they were born because maybe in the present time they're like open hands lapping us. There's a good reason. <laughs> That's based on a true story. So go back, 
reflect on these things. Why did you start following Jesus? What was it about him that was so fantastic? So as we close for communion, um, I just would encourage you guys um, while we pray and while you take communion, um, if you're comfortable, you're going to place your hand over your heart and just have a moment with God and reflect with God why did I start this journey? What do I need to remember in order to press into the risk and just continue to follow him? What's distracting you today? What's scaring you? Return to that love of Jesus that you've got. Press firmly into him. The God who promised is faithful and he will make good on his word. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to delve into your word together. I thank you for just the beautiful minds of the biblical authors and for your um, the inspiration of your spirit, God. Thank you that we get to search through it together and find ways and reasons to press into you. Lord, I pray over um, anyone here who who's just not sure, not certain. Lord, would you encourage us to press in? Would you encourage us to know you are good, you are trustworthy. We have so many reasons to hang on just a little bit longer, God. And I pray for those who feel like they're holding on by a string. Lord, would you love them? Would you be near? You are trustworthy. Thank you for allowing us to worship together as a community, God. And we thank you for the gift of communion. May we receive it with open hearts. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. <laughs>